Welcome to episode 131 of Keep the Kayfabe. I'm Mike, sitting here with my boys, ready to talk some wrestling. We got a brand new show on TNT, and it is AEW Collision that just aired this past Saturday. Uh, Mr. CM Punk is back, delivering unbelievable promos, and he had some in-ring action. But that wasn't just the highlight of that show. We're going to get into some other cool topics and uh, things that we liked about it, too. Um, and we also have Dark Side of the Ring, a new episode to get into, and um, can't wait to hear about that. We got Forbidden Door coming up this Sunday, so lots of good shit to get to tonight. I will say that, but before we do say that, let's get to know who we're listening to tonight. He's over in Glendale, and he likes to keep it regal, Mr. Steve Grobschmidt. What up, Grabby? I am a real American fight for the rights of every man i am a real american and fight for what's right fight for your life great patriotic yeah good timing sometimes silence is more important than the words when it comes to delivery that's true and the pregnant pauses between words Expert timing for sure. Good to see you tonight, Steve. Likewise. It's always a pleasure to uh, keep it real here on Keep the Kayfabe. Word up. All right. Let's go down to Bayview. He's a man that likes to keep it freshly squeezed. Matt Michelson. What up, Matt? Powerhouse. Pretty good. Pretty good. good. Powerhouse. Nice. That's great. Yeah. How's the powerhouse doing? Are they still running with that? Um, what is it? QT Marshall, QT TV. Yeah. He's still involved. I I think there was something on EW collision, like a segment where Hobbs and QT are chatting. Um, Mm. I I didn't happen to overhear what they were saying. I was in the middle of something else because that shows you how much I care about that uh, angle right now. But yes. I think he basically declared himself for the Owen, if I remember right. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's right. Another thing that, uh, you know, is a little bit underwhelming. Owen Hart, legend, but, you know, sometimes you can't have the old stuff get stuff that doesn't matter over. So, I don't know. We'll see where it goes with that. See where I was it pretty hot. Out. Yeah, I was hot on QT TV for a little bit. But, yeah, I think it's... uh kind of sputtering spinning the wheels are kind of spun out right now all right let's go over to the other side of the midwest a little (laughs) east to the man who has the golden pipes his name is gary williams what up gary look in my eyes what do you see (laughs) the cult of personality so I read the lyrics to this because I had never actually um, classic song. No, but (laughs) in the lyrics, um, 
you know, it goes, I know your anger. I know your dreams have been everything you want to be. I'm the cult of person like Mussolini and Kennedy. And then later it talks about like Joseph Stalin and Gandhi, Mm -hmm. just very fascinating references in the song good and bad yeah in the use it really the kind of like hidden lyrics almost yeah yeah you got to know those people uh to really you know feel it and i mean the fans really feel that song when it kicks up Mm -hmm. that is for sure we saw that on collision uh what he opened up the show and like i said i mean i've said it many times on the show i'm not a big cm punk guy i really don't get it but I'm a fan of pro wrestling and I like to see my fellow pro wrestling enthusiasts happy. And that's what the guy does. He brings joy to many, many fans. He gives them high energy, whatever. Um, He kind of looks like a guy. I mean, the reason I don't really like CM Punk, he's like, he kind of looks like a guy that should be spraying disinfectant in some bowling shoes in a bowling alley, uh, you know, in the suburbs of Milwaukee somewhere. Uh, But, you know, he's looking in pretty good shape. He's got the short hair now. The slick mm-hmm. back with the with the space in his teeth made him look like he was riding the rails, kind of Shawn Michael-esque uh, lately. But um, he's looking in good shape. Um, I didn't get to see the full match uh, when he wrestled with FTR at the very end. But um, let's go to the promo first. What were your reactions to that? How about you, Gary, since you brought up the... Uh, the theme music. I know you're itching to get to it. Um, I actually, I'll go step further, or st- step before that, actually, and just talk about the use of Elton John's "Saturday Night Is All Right" for fighting yeah. theme song. Uh, back in the early '80s, before copyright issues, um, wrestling focused all the time. Wrestlers would like Iron Man for uh, the Road Warriors or even JYD used Another One Bites the Dust. Like there were a lot of actual songs that were used uh, for wrestler introductions. And then obviously then there became these copyright issues and then all heck broke loose in terms of then the new creation of um portions of the wrestling industry that now create their own music. But I, I, I didn't want to let that go just because I thought it was, it's been such a great tool used by AEW to, to, to buy the copyrights to some of these songs and really use them. And it it really said, I thought that set a pretty cool tone. Um, And then it led right into the interview and, uh, you know, Mike, I'm kind of with you. Like CM Punk to me is a little bit of an enigma. Uh, I wasn't really into the WWF back in when he was really popular. So I kind of missed that a little bit. I do see the, the. I mean, speaking of cult of personality, I do see the cultish like um, attributes that he brings. What The thing that I loved about his interview was just the the shock and awe and in the allowance of time, I I don't care what anyone says this whole thing, whether I'm just, I'm saying it right now, this whole thing's been a work is not, you know, it's all been kind of planned. I'm sure there were some things that happened that may not have happened exactly, but you know, these guys are professionals. They're going to figure out a way to make money. And that's what they're doing right now. They're using maybe an, a little incident that maybe got blown up a little bit. But regardless of it, love his just shock and awe. Um, and 
I guess what I'm most curious about is the ovation he received on Saturday this week. Will he get that next week? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Uh, Steve, what do you think about that? Uh, That's the million dollar question. I think Ed, I don't remember because again, like you guys, I wasn't like, uh, or like you, you just said, Gary, I didn't watch a lot of his punks run in WWE. Um, I don't know what kind of crowd Toronto is. I think that's the next city in terms of CM Punk. But I think in general, it's going to be 50-50 cheers, booze, which is great. I mean, nobody should care about that in AEW. I think as long as he's spitting fire with his promos and he's looking decent in the ring, you know, he was he looked perfectly fine. I mean, it was a smart move to have him in a triple, you know, a a six man so he could kind of warm up. But uh yeah, I don't um I think it's going to be much yeah, the next week even will probably be a lot more mi- in the middle. But uh I assume they know full well what they're doing. I also want to say I agree with Gary, I think and I think I've been fairly consistent in saying all along that well, yeah, there are roots of reality and all this. I f- I think it's been far more work than shoot. And I think these are professionals like you said. I think we will see punk and uh, the elite do business at some point. And I think they're even AEW is probably even playing up this separate roster thing or, you know, Jericho spouting off on social media about punk. That's Jericho does nothing unintentionally and he's, he's just promoting the story. So I think this is a really smart play by AEW. Hey, speaking of Jericho, I just happened to watch uh, an episode of Name That Tune. It was remade and yeah. he was on and won big money for a charity. Nice. Big well, music guy. Oh, I... huge music guy, yeah. Yeah, Matt, what do you think? Yeah, so unlike you guys, um, well, not unlike you guys, like you guys, I didn't really watch Punk during his WWE days either. I think I've talked about this on past episodes. I happened to bump into him at a coffee shop here in Milwaukee one time. <laughs> you did, yeah. It was weird um, and kind of embarrassing, and I'm not sure if more for me or for him, but regardless of that, when he first came into AEW, I mean, I had seen some of his stuff. Like he had a match with John Cena at Money in the Bank 2011. It's considered one of WWE's best matches ever, so they say. It was a great match, and I totally see the appeal. Punk is one of those guys who he is him. Like his character is who he is in real life or kayfabe. I think that's part of what makes it so interesting. Anytime the guy cuts a promo, he just can't help himself but to needle and shoot on people. Uh, It's just who he is, right? So for me, that's the draw in this situation is you have this situation with the elite that he got into, which AEW's talked about not really a ton, but it's been on social media. They've covered it ad nauseum. So now he's back and everybody's just waiting on him to shoot on everybody and unearth, you know, all these skeletons. But that's, I don't think that's really what we got in his promo. We did a little Mm. bit, but there was a lot of subtext more than anything. It was funny to me how he never mentioned the main event of the show. It was all about him and where's he going from here. And he's not the nice guy anymore. He's sort of challenging MJF uh, in in a sense, I guess. It'll be really interesting to see that storyline come back around. I'm personally really excited for it. I don't think we're getting it right away, though. I think we're going to see something else come. You know, Charlie, who unfortunately wasn't able to be here tonight, the guy has way too many underwear modeling gigs lately. We got to talk to him about that. But regardless, he had said that 
he doesn't think the MJF Punk thing's happening soon. I had suggested Wembley would be a phenomenal place for that match to happen. Charlie made a really good point, suggested that those tickets have already been sold, so what's the point? Mm -hmm. I get it. At the same time, I wouldn't put it past Tony Khan. It's a memorable venue. Why not have a memorable match there? So, overall... There's kind of too many, Matt, there will be too many overlaps with Forbidden Door, the Japanese wrestlers. I think we probably underestimate in England the draw of the Ospreys and the, you know... uh, and that whole group that that really competes Zach Saber Jr. Zach yeah, Saber Jr. Yeah. yeah, great, great pickup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those guys, you know, Aussie Open. I mean, the, those Tony guys. Tony Storm are, even. Yeah, she was uh, exactly. the NXT Women's UK Champion. UK Absolutely, she'll get a big uh, praise now being the AEW Women's. And champion. I'm sure they're gonna be without getting too far into the future. Jamie Hader and Tony Storm mm-hmm. is probably your match there. And that, I mean, yeah, double oh. what you just said. <laughs> One of my favorite AEW women's matches ever was when Jamie Hader won the title off Tony Storm. It was so hard hitting. Yeah, there were yeah. shenanigans mm-hmm. and that's how she won, but that's what people wanted anyway. But anyway, uh, to finish my thoughts on Punk, yeah, I don't really know where this is going to go, but the one thing I will say is I'm definitely curious. Like, that mm-hmm. is one thing this guy can do is he's probably – by a long shot, the one guy who makes me want to tune into AEW to see what's mm. going to happen this day and age. It'd be fun if they just kept him on collision, too, to get that show off the ground. Because, you know, the mm-hmm. weekends in the summertime, they're kind of busy. See what, like, if he is really, like, the needle mover that they think he is and say he is. Uh, it'd be cool to just keep him on collision. And just see what it would be like to keep them over there to make it like that. Because, I mean, we talked about the music up top. I noticed that Elton John song. I thought it was kind of weird at first, but I was like, all right. I mean, I'm a huge EJ fan for sure. So I was like, great. Yeah, use it. But it's interesting. I don't know if I would have went with it, but I don't know. Might grow on me. We'll see. I kind of like the difference in it because I feel like, and, and this isn't me sound like an old man. Like I'm, I'm generally pretty accepting of all kinds of music, but I feel like w, AEW and WWE have gotten into this sort of, um, I don't know what the type of music is, but they like the fuse. It's like that same, you know, like they kind of go with the more modern, but to go with sort of a classic, but the, the theme of the song still kind of fits everything. I don't know. I thought it was kind of refreshing. <laughs> Reminded me of like, you know, when, when Saturday night's main event had an emotions obsession as like the theme song and stuff yeah. back in the day. It's just, I don't know. I'm, I, I, I like the difference that it, or when Hogan came out to eye of the tiger, like that, yeah. those are the type of things that that was how the emotion I got. It felt like Dusty Rhodes ish to me. <laughs> yeah. Kind of like how his uh, WWF music was pretty playful. This kind of felt like a Dusty, like, have some fun kind of touch to it. What do you guys, uh, you, so you see the color of this show too. It's really reminiscent of Nitro and the logo and TNT For sure. uh, of the WCW days. I like the red ropes that they're using too. Um, give it just some, you know, something a little bit different, but I know Stevie touched on that. It definitely had a different feel. What was like the big thing that jumped out at you that made it so different? Yeah, I think you just cited a couple of them, like the different color ropes, like things like that add up. It had just the different, the ring had a different vibe, the entrance and the, um, the way that it was designed, it was definitely different than, um, dynamite, which is good. And, um, 
with that unmistakable nod to Nitro, which is cool. Um, so yeah, I think that and having the announcers, they were much different. I mean, it's not like they just, and this is not a criticism, but it's not like they trotted out another flavor of like Taz and Shivani and Excalibur. You know what I mean? Like they, uh, completely different Two fresh. I mean, at least for AEW, two fresh voices. And I thought I really, I like that. I think, uh, Nigel's really good. And I think Kevin mm-hmm. Kelly, they just lent, they gave it a different feel and sound. Hearing Kevin Kelly talk about Jay White on an AEW show was weird to me because I've heard Kevin Kelly do commentary for New Japan, especially when Jay White was the IWGP heavyweight champion. And Mm -hmm. it's funny because Kevin Kelly stays true to himself. Like he still sounds kind of the same. He calls matches kind of similar to how he did in New Japan. So it's interesting to see how that translates to AEW and just the feel of the show. The only other thing I'll add to what Steve said that I thought was noticeably different from Dynamite, I didn't feel like it was like, Oh my God. And this match is over and this person died in the ring. Now here's JR backstage talking to hangman page, you know, or something totally different. Like, wait, what? Um, everything kind of like landed. Kevin Kelly would talk about it for a minute. They let you kind of bask in it before they would move on to the next thing. And I don't know if that's just this one show in particular, you know, I think one of you guys mentioned it in the beginning, it almost feels like it's a different booker to some degree, you know, and I got to believe Tony is the recurring theme. Yeah. yeah, like Tony Khan's got to have a say in this or potentially be booking it. But at the same time, something very different is happening behind the scenes. So I'm kind of digging it. I mean, the speculation is that he's or not even in the first example I'm going to give. It's not a speculation because I think Tony Khan's out and out said it, but he's listening more and more to like Brian Danielson and kind of like, so I think he's getting some new ears or new uh, voices in his ear. So whether he's doing it directly or letting some of those guys like uh, uh, Danielson call the shots, I don't know. But but yeah, it was unmistakably different. They actually let things breathe a little Um it's funny, far be you know, lately I've just been so pissy about people like Eric Bischoff and Dutch Mantel and these old fuckers that just bitch about everything and they obviously have a chip on their shoulder. I was ready to just go off on Eric Bischoff because I saw him tweet like he uh, did a bonus episode of his podcast where he was going to talk about collision. And he's like, who booked this shit? And I'm like, oh, there he fucking goes again. It's like he's going to. Now, I didn't listen to the podcast, but I, I read some reviews of it and some recaps. He actually that was just a tease. He went the opposite and he said it was the best thing he's seen in over a year in AEW. And he's actually going to give them kind of a clean slate now, because if this company's capable of that, he's curious to see what they're going to do to build off of it. And again, I'm not putting more weight than I want to on like a Bischoff, but it's like even a bitter old bastard, like thought it was really fresh and new. So <laughs> well, think about, think about for a little bit, like what we normally see in the fighting world on a Saturday night. Like we normally either see a pay-per-view type show or we there'll be primetime UFC or primetime boxing or whatever the case may be. It felt like that to me. It it actually felt like a it felt like a real sporting event almost like it was kind of like this really cool wrestling show that had a real distinct uh, pacing to it. There was very little flying around. It was a lot of actual wrestling wrestling. Um, there wasn't a ton of interviews. It, it really just moved from match to match. And it made you kind of feel like it was a primetime kind of thing. It was just kind of cool. I don't know. I It, it well, just really, really was. Uh, I, I'm curious to see how it continues from here. 
Well, they put all the right bodies in the ring, it seemed like. You had, like, the big guys lead off the show. Matt, you said somebody, you know, somebody died in the ring, and it was Michael Wardlow. I don't know where his career goes from here, but <laughs> get into it. But uh, Luchasaurus versus Wardlow, two big bodies. Then you got uh, Buddy versus Andrade, and those are two I mean, they're huge. Oh. They're jacked. They don't get they enough credit jacked. for how stacked they are. Um, so that was well booked. And then you got, you know, Samoa Joe going up against the likes of FTR and CM Punk with Jay White mixed in there and Juice Robinson, who's no uh, slouch either. So they put the right bodies in the ring. I think they hit the right combinations and hit the right buttons to make their debut show quite a success. So, yeah, I'm pretty excited. It's going to stay on my DVR. I don't For know sure. if I'll be available to watch it every Saturday night. Just, um, But I hope I hope it uh, keeps some good momentum. And hopefully the stories trickle because I've really faded on Rampage. I really don't even watch it anymore. I tape it, but I don't even watch it because, I don't know, I have no really reason to. Mm. So I think despite what Tony Khan said when it launched, that it was not going to be a B show, it's totally a B show. Oh, yeah. I think, you know, Gary brought up the example. What was it? Like Christopher Daniels and Roosh is like a main event. It's like, come on. That's not your, that's not an A-level show. No offense to either of those dudes. I don't understand why they don't just put ROH right there. Like that is just my how many people are actually paying $9.99 to watch ROH? Like, I, I, yeah, I, I mean, Charlie, Charlie's a big Ring of Honor nostalgic dude, and he, he, he agrees with that. Yeah, it's, it's crazy to think that they would have gone to that extreme for that. It'd been one thing if they had done it for AEW, but to, to make you pay $10 a month to watch Ring of Honor and the matches are, okay at best you know it's like what is going on i just i wish rampage would turn more in because i do think ring of honor has a lot of cool characters has a lot of great wrestlers i think there could be some fun stuff there but i'm just not not invested but mike to your point um i'm sad about wardlow like i will say it was a really good match uh, sadly um i really thought the ending was actually somewhat creative and it got and it did end up coming full circle because I think if we go back and think about our pay-per-view predictions, a lot of you, a lot of us, a lot of you wanted to see Christian Cage win. And in essence, he did. I mean, if you watch the way he That's how he acted, yeah. He he it was like this is mine type of thing. So I did think that was pretty cool, but boy, what the hell are they gonna do with Wardlow from here? I don't know. It's sad. Maybe he goes to WWE. You know, Vince likes Maybe. the big guys. Maybe uh, he isn't getting it, and they might not have anything for him. I'm sure WD will WWE will pick him up and add a body there. They got the money, so who knows? But are they that, like, just down on this guy? Like, part of me is just thinking, okay, they got some weird storyline going on that just hasn't, like, like we haven't seen what it's coming to. Like, Wardlow just can't win the big one, or he can't hold on. I don't know. And, and like then they put him with Arn, and really the end result's no different. Like it's very, yeah. Like it's so weird. It makes me think they got to have a plan. They must. They must. Yeah, I I want to hope that's the case. Man, Wardlow was so cool when he turned on MJF. That's all I can think. And even before made then, man, the slow burn before he started talking. Subtle, yes. Before he started talking, the subtle facial expressions. 
and very subtle acting he does is phenomenal. Like if they could just find a way to get him back to that, he'd be great again. But yeah. I don't know. We'll we'll see where he goes. I actually yeah. I, one I don't think I, I don't think he's eminently WWE bound. However, I don't think because of his limitations on the mic that I don't know that WWE would like necessarily put him in a bigger spot than he is now. He's not they're not going to put the world title no. on him. No, I don't think so either. It's, I think it's yeah, it's just sad because in the old days they would have given him a great manager and and that would never have been a problem. They just can't. He's you know, it's just a boy. It's sad. Even, even Arn, it's like, you know, you know, Gary and I grew up watching Arn as one of you know the horsemen. He's like amongst our favorites. He's not even a good manager right now because it's like with the weird biting the finger shit and like like <laughs> if he can even make it to the ring. It's like even Arn is sort of like, ugh, I, I cringe more than I smile when I see him now. Hey, what do you hey, guys Tully. think? What do you guys think about the the kind of beatdown that Andrade took at the end of that match? And where do you think that's going? Because clearly something's gonna happen. Like, who are some people that you think might you know, kind of come to his aid or or partner with him? Uh, that's a great question. I honestly already forgot that happened, partly because the last time I saw Andrade, he was a heel, and, like, he got over as a face, I right. think, on Collision. <laughs> it was but, odd seeing him come down by himself. Oh, for sure. I The only guys I can think of that come to mind are, like, Jose the Assistant, Roosh, maybe? Like, you know, mm. who was he last affiliated Roosh and with? Uh, Vance. Preston Vance or whatever his name is, or is, is technically his team. Yeah. Unless he's starting be. a new one. Right. But, but then you put them in a trios match against the house of black. And who do you think wins? Like, yeah, it's gotta yeah. be house of black. Right. So yeah, I don't, I don't really know where they're going with this. And even if I did know, I don't know that I care. It sounds harsh, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I hope he I mean, has a new faction because I think I, I like Andrade and I think that match to me was the best match of the night you know, on a really good show. So that's not like and um, I think he can be really compelling. And I think this hopefully this fresh start doesn't mean he goes back to his mid card buddies. Uh, so, I yeah, I kind of hope he comes up with this new group of badasses to take him on. And I, I don't know. I don't know who that would be. I mean, there were some there were some internet rumor speculation people like tiger mask from new japan there were a, a, a two or three other notable new japan people that they kind of teased as opposed, so it may spur into something that gets put in forbidden door or beyond but oh, uh, sure but it definitely did not did not sound like he's going to revert back to the mid-card type uh slot that he's really gonna you know th they're gonna think about it you know, surrounding him with some different people. But I thought his homage to his wife was pretty awesome. Like, I thought that was pretty cool. That was cool. Yeah. Yeah. He was their finisher. And in the subtle reference by it, whether it was Kevin Kelly or Nigel McGinnis, I think they made a comment. Uh, they made a very subtle comment at the end about that. So it was pretty cool. Definitely. Well, Keep tuning in, folks, to Collision on Saturday nights on TNT. We'll see where it goes from there. Let's see if they keep the steam. And speaking of steam, uh, Dark Side of the Ring is really picking up. Uh, I think we're four episodes in now, and it comes to us um, with another pretty shocking episode. It's about the Graham family. Um, 
I don't really know much about it. I haven't had a chance to actually tune into this one, but I know Steve and Gary did, and uh, they would know more about it. What can you tell us about this, Steve, and how would you set this up for listeners who haven't seen it yet? So, um, yeah, I mean, obviously the story goes beyond just wrestling, and this is a tragedy not unlike the Von Erichs of just, like, loss and, like, you know, like, multiple suicides which we'll get to in a minute but um really it's just this dynasty that i think you know is kind of like in the territory days um you forget people forget like how massive these regional um stars were and it was like uh so i gotta work myself backwards to get the names right mike graham was the son and then um i just lost the father's name Eddie Graham. And then um, so Eddie Graham was the larger than life guy that kind of ran the uh, I mean, he started off in um, New York um, and he was teaming with another Graham unrelated. That was a legend um, and kind of a crackpot dude. So he wound up like starting his own thing, kind of rebuilding himself in Florida where he turned he just built um and which was the wrestling fa- company, uh, Gary? The uh, is it uh, is it Florida Championship, or yep, yeah, Florida, Florida uh, Championship, Championship wrestling. wrestling from Florida Championship CFW. Wrestling, and just they talked about like you know in modern times these guys were making what would be millions of dollars, and it was like a Florida-based show, and they were just like these compelling feuds, and um, so yeah, you know, and it was again kind of a classic story if you know about people like Cowboy Bill Watts and some of these other guys where. You got the father, Eddie Graham, who's this larger than life figure, and his son follows in his footsteps. By no means bad at what he did, but you know, this the shadow was too large and never really lived, you know, never really hit that level of like prowess in the ring or as a businessman. But um I think the overarching story too is just the the demons that they had. I mean, like alcoholism, um they kind of affected their personalities. So it was really um Again, one of those like could have been like, oh, and the, you know, also interesting is Eddie Graham was such a competent and successful promoter that he had a very good rapport with Vince Sr. And they said, you know, Vince Jr. too. So, I mean, you, who knows how, you know, Vince Jr. was doing his power play, but the respect that people had for Eddie Graham was so great. It could have, if he hadn't, uh, uh, if you would have stuck, you know, been able to kind of stick with the industry longer, it might have like altered things to some extent in terms of like Vince's takeover and all that. But once he was out of the picture because um, he took his own life when he was in his 50s, I think it was 55, 50, 55. Um, that just kind of put a rather abrupt end to the the Florida championship, the championship wrestling in Florida. Um, I feel like I've been a little all over the place on this, but they talk a lot about the father and then Mike Graham. And then sadly, Mike Graham's um, son also kind of living in the shadow of all this and the pressures of, you know, that were put on him uh, also took his own life. So this is three action. They said ultimately five members of the family because Eddie Graham's brother, I believe. And then some like, I don't know if it was his father. Yeah. So it's just, you know, I mean, yeah, again, it's eerily, it's 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 like the Von Erichs, you know. There was just so much loss and like just tragedy um, to this like really powerful dynasty-like family. 
But then, of course, they always end on a little bit of a positive. They talk mm-hmm. a bit about uh, Mike Graham's daughter and how, you know, obviously she lost a father, a grandfather, a brother that she was very close to. But even, you know, she's trying to find some she's working with people, you know, with mental illness now and stuff. And she's got a daughter and she's doing really well. So um, I do like that the show always kind of tries to end on a positive note. Yeah, I think, I you know, something to add for me is, you know, um, Mike and Matt, and for those that maybe don't know much about uh, Championship Wrestling from Florida, I mean, it, that territory was a great wrestling territory, but their main events were always off the chart, like super violent, like super extreme. And it, and that's what they were known for. The, the the preliminary middle card matches, pretty basic, but their main events were just popped. And I think that they they also created this concept that became uh, Eddie Graham started it, and then it really got adopted by Dusty Rhodes after Eddie, and it became known as the Dusty Finish, where that that's where that was born, where um the the uh the baby face would go over the heel especially in a championship match and only to have someone come in and say by some technicality you're no longer the champion and create this you know mystique of of winning um that became now that's known today as the dusty finish but it actually was born in um in Eddie Graham's uh, championship wrestling from Florida. And so um, a couple of things just to add on one, the, the reality of the territory departures, I don't think can be lost in all of this and say what you want about what Vince did. It is capitalism at its greatest form or whatever the case may be, but yet in the same token, these were like decade long family businesses that were literally destroyed whether it was florida whether it was the crockett's whether it was bill watts ganya's uh to the von erics these people were in business for decades making lots of really good money and after and making the height of their money between 80 and 80 say five or six and then by 87 88 bam not only were they not making money they were literally gone and so it, it's just a really interesting period of time um in the wrestling um industry and i guess the last thing i'll also say about this is this one i felt well it hit home for me a little bit and uh forgive my disclosure but i've gone through some of those demons that these guys have gone through in my career um and it just and you know having kind of battled back from um, my own difficulties a few years ago these are the types of of stories that always make me you know it, it triggers for me a little bit um just the memories of the of some of those days but it it ended in a way where i was really happy that the way they took it because she you know their daughter um nicole um she she's committed to breaking the cycle and i do think to some degree you know that's a really important thing when it comes to some of these mental health issues and i know steve and i um have 
we talk about this offline a lot, obviously, with what I've gone through with with also what Steve has gone through and, and all of us go through in our lives, some more drastic than others, but um, help is not a four letter word. That's for sure. And uh, I just hope that, you know, when you watch a story like this, while you see this tragedy, you also kind of bring hope to the fact that there truly are a lot of people. I mean, you look at all the people that were interviewed there, every single one of them was devastated by this action, by these actions and truly loved these guys. And it just reminds you that there are people in your life that care about you. And I, and I hope that when anyone's getting to that place that they just reach out. Most definitely. I also wanted you made me think of something real quick. It's like I I really liked kind of the evolution of like you had B. Brian Blair and uh, Kevin mm-hmm. Sullivan, who are two legends, probably both. And I would guess at this point, late 60s. Yeah. Uh, but when they first were talking about the suicides, they kind of had that, you know, and they, they weren't being jerks by any means, but sort of that like, I don't get it. But then by the end, they said some of the same things we, you know, we were just saying about like a oh, man, just if they could only reached out for help. So it's like sometimes people when they have stuff like that happen to people real close to them then they kind of see the weight of it and like just seeing what that family went through so um i thought those were two really good people to have on there be brian blair and sullivan and they really told good stories well spoken um and um yeah it was cool i mean be brian blair in particular looked great so that's cool i thought it was a really good very well done like we come to expect from that show Totally. They're not afraid to go into topics that are really hard to deal with. And I mean, there's a lot of different types of people that can watch the show. We brought it up last week. You can be any type of like you could just like TV. You could like sports. You could like wrestling. Mm -hmm. You could like a true crime doc, whatever you're into. You'll appreciate this. And but then there's people all over the world that go through things mentally and their own struggles. So Sometimes these hard episodes may help people through because it's like, oh, wow, somebody was just like me. And the thoughts Mm -hmm. that I have were this and this is how it affected these people. How may it affect the people in my life that love me? So, Mm -hmm. you know, it could save a life. Who knows? I mean, it's crazy. I mean, life's hard. It's, you know, let's be honest. Life's a fucking shit show. But um, it's how we choose what we choose to feed our minds with positivity mm. or negativity. Yeah. Well said. And one of them's in whatever one you do feed, the other's going to starve. Mm-hmm. So if it's the negative one, your positive is going to be starving. And then you know what? The negative one preys on that positive one because mm-hmm. it still wants to eat. So, you know, that's the way I look at it. So it's a balance. For sure. And uh, we appreciate the honesty too, Gary. Um, that's, you know, you, you bring, up, bring up a great point. Help is not a four-letter word. And it's it's more evident now that it's widely more accepted. And it is a thing that we need to exercise. Just like going to the gym for our bodies, you need to yeah. exercise your mind and be the person, the man, the woman you want to be for the people that love you and, you know, impact the world in a positive way. So. Speaking of positive stuff, we got another great uh, pay-per-view coming up this Sunday. It's Forbidden Door. We don't really know so much of the matches. This is just a very unique show that AEW 
puts on, and it's really a gift to the hardcore wrestling enthusiasts. I remember when I went to the first All In, I was a WWE guy. I went because Charlie sold it to me. I was like, I didn't know who Kenny Omega was. I didn't know who Marty Skrull was. I didn't know who the Briscoes, you know, everybody that was there. I had no fucking clue. I just knew that it was the place to be. And I look around at these wrestling marks there, and I was like, holy shit. This is a whole nother level and layer to the wrestling culture that I never knew existed. So basically what Tony Khan is doing here is giving fans something that they desperately want. And there's geeks out there that have been stroking it to the Kenny Omega, Will Ospreay matchup as they well should, Mm -hmm. you know, and and I'm fucking stroking it to see Don Callis uh, waiting to see how he's going to evolve this uh, heel in Dikesha. And maybe if he'll bring some, I I really want Don Callis to be the leader of like an all heel new Japan. Like who are some other heels like over there? Isn't there a guy named like something Dick or something? Matt, you know more. Yeah. What? I don't know. I'll let Matt answer that. I'm not as familiar as I should. I, you know any I, heels, Matt? I don't know any of them named whatever you're thinking of. Uh, <laughs> I thought there I, was a guy named like Dick, like in like the Japanese guy. Charlie no, would know. I, you might be thinking of Dirty Dick Slater because I know we had a pretty good bit about him a few episodes back. Um, for oh, our yeah. newer listeners, go check that out. But yeah, over when you start thinking about New Japan, um, you have Minoru Suzuki, who is like the grandpa of evil, is what I like to call him. Mm-hmm. Um, he's already made appearances in AEW. I'm kind of surprised we haven't seen him in the build up to Forbidden Door just yet. He had a really good mm-hmm. run with AEW. I don't know if maybe he's toning it down or not. But I, keep in mind for those of our listeners, I'm not following New Japan super closely anymore, so I could very well be wrong. But regardless, Wait, sorry, who did you just say? Minoru Suzuki. He's on Dynamite this week. He's on right? Dynamite. When's tomorrow? Tomorrow. Oh, how appropriate! He's teaming well, with Jericho. He's with there Jericho. Well, there's so, your yeah, heel. Well played. Right <laughs> so you want you want a New Japan heel? You got one. Uh, him and basically any member of the Bullet Club. Mm-hmm. I think uh, Tomohiro yeah. Ishii I, depends on what you think of the guy. I mean, he is, he's the stone pit bull of new Japan and the guy is awesome. Um, him and John Moxley had a match in new Japan right after Moxley left WWE. They had a five-star match. Like, oh, what was it? A week later, I want to say. So the guy's incredible. He does a lot without doing much at all. He's getting into the later years of his career. So I know like the last few matches he's had, you can kind of start to see, you know, just he's not quite what he used to be. So I will say that. Um, Yeah, it's interesting. Now that you're putting me on the spot and making me think about this a little bit, New Japan, I don't know that they really have flat out heels. I mean, you have the Bullet Club. I think the Bullet Club are the heels of New Japan, like the whole stable. But at the same time, they're likable. And I don't know if they're likable because we're Americans and that's how we see them. Like, hey, they're like us. Or if, you know, they're just likable heels and maybe that's how the folks in Japan see them as well. But regardless, yeah, New Japan's got just an amazing roster. Looking forward to Forbidden Door this weekend for me personally. I am really interested in Will Ospreay, Kenny Omega 2. I don't know if you guys saw the first match they had, but... It's probably one of the most violent and in a realistic way um, matches that I've seen in a long time. I 
don't know where they go from there. That's the thing. And it's like, how do you top that match? Or do you just do something completely different? Mm. I'm not really sure. I'm also not a, you know, a lot of folks, when you talk about Kazuchika Okada, another major, major player from New Japan, I don't really know where they go with him either. I'm personally not a huge fan of his. I, I see the hype a little bit. I think putting him and Brian Danielson in the ring together is going to get a great reaction from the crowd. As far as the match itself goes, I'm sure it'll be good. I'm just really curious to see how good. So beyond those matches, though, I mean, there's a handful of things that have been announced, but we're still waiting for a lot of announcements. So I have to believe that as of the time of this recording tomorrow night on Dynamite, we'll start to see what this card's going to look like. I think the sleep the sleeper is going to be... Um... I, for me is the Willow Nightingale match. I'm sure she's gonna be on the card. I feel this is when Mercedes Monet shows up. I think that that will be a bomb that will drop because, um, I mean, she she injured or not, making an appearance is not an issue, right? And right. so, and with this connection with Willow Nightingale, you know, again, you know. One wants to believe that there is a leg injury, but also it could be a well-played uh, angle as well that we have oh, no idea about. I think, I think for me, um, that is one of the sleeper things about uh, the show that I think is going to drop. And the other thing is, if the other type of prediction I guess I would make is, I just believe in my heart that some one or two breadcrumbs are also going to drop on this card that are basically going to show us the path to all in and all out. And, and I, I'm not sure. And I think that that's one of the things I just love about where we're at right now with AEW is um, I don't know. And that's, what's making me want to desire to tune in so, I mean, for whatever it's worth, I think, um, you know, all the things that you said, Matt, though, I, I de- definitely resonate with, but uh, Mercedes Monet, and and I just feel like there's a couple things, you know, maybe it's Don Callis, maybe it's something with Osprey, maybe it's something with Punk, uh, MJF comes in somehow, some way around somewhere. I mean, I just feel like there's a lot of intertwined options that can happen, and I think we're going to see some of those things get unraveled what do you think steve no i yeah i think you well said all around i think um as i was looking at this card it's like on the surface it starts off as sort of feeling like this like um exhibition you know where you got these feuds that aren't gonna per se go anywhere because they're you know like just like dream matches and that's fun but then you always wonder what's next but i do think there will be it'll be woven in you got me very intrigued i would love to see mercedes monet even if she is hurt show up because that would blow the roof off and promise exciting things to come i mean you can't undersell how much of a ratings thing she was for a WWE. Mm-hmm. If they got punk back and they got Mercedes in the hopper, those are some huge momentum things to just build on because I mean, she levels up your women's division times two. Um, so I lied. I hope that happens and who knows, maybe she is or isn't ready for Wembley or something down the road, but maybe it's better down the road. Cause then you, you know, you see the future event. Um, 
I said last week, and I'll say again, I think one of those breadcrumbs is going to be the continued frustration of Jungle Boy, and I think um, mm. the start of a potential heel turn. I, I just, I really feel like it's in the air. So I think he's, you know, him coming up short and maybe uh, getting super frustrated. And then I don't know when weeks down the road, at some point down the road, he's going to turn on hook and um, there we go. So I don't know. I'm just going to sit back and enjoy it. AEW almost never lets us down on pay-per-views. I mean, the last one was a little hit and miss. So I think they're going to come back blazing. This is the this is the forbidden door Tony wanted to do last year, but injuries kind of handicapped it. Totally. Yep. I'm with you, boys. I am excited to tune in. I got a big show with the candles this weekend, so hopefully I'll be sitting on a bunch of money and, uh, you know, tuning in. And you know that heel uh, that I was thinking of? His name is Dick Togo. Yeah, Dick to go, oh, okay. or as Conrad Thompson says, Dick Dick to go. That's what I mean. Yeah, exactly. How you know what's crazy? I almost said that, and I was like, "No, he can't be talking about Dick to go," because I only go about my Dick to go. So, but oh, yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, speaking of Dick to go, we have one more thing to do before we uh, set off into the sunset here, and that's get into promo of the week. And since we are talking about Forbidden Door. And um, we were bringing up a lot of Japanese wrestler. I thought it'd only be appropriate to uh, dig real deep into the mailbag and go to one of the biggest and maybe the best Japanese wrestler of all time. It's Yokozuna. <laughs> Little sarcasm there. But uh, no, we're going to do a Yokozuna promo just because it's fun. And I actually did just watch the... A&E, like I said, I got a big mm. candle show this weekend. Yeah. And instead of watching wrestling, I like throwing on those biographies just so I can listen and learn about wrestling as I'm doing my work. And uh, his was pretty fascinating. It was it was a pretty yes. good one. So I do I do like those A&E biographies. Check them out. They're probably on demand somewhere, and they have rivals too. So if, you, if you're not getting enough wrestling, there's just some more there for you to discover. So let's get to this promo real quick. It's Yokozuna with Jim Cornette. And Master Fuji, this is from 1993. So it's short and sweet, but here you go. You know, there's been a lot of accusations being thrown around, a lot of shady deals going on in the World Wrestling Federation, and everybody's involved from Jack Tunney on down. I didn't make a mistake. I didn't make an oversight. The contract that I signed on behalf of Mr. Fuji and Yokozuna didn't have any fine print in it, but the contract I got back in the mail sure did. Paul Bears pulled a fast one. A casket match at the Royal Rumble for the title with Yokozuna and The Undertaker. And then everybody's making the accusation that for the first time ever, they saw fear in the eyes of Yokozuna at the Survivor Series. Well, that wasn't fear. No, that wasn't fear. That wasn't a backward step. All that was was a process of feeling out. Yokozuna had to know how much The Undertaker could stand, so he knew how far to go. Well, now he knows, brother. And Paul Bearer, I don't care whether you and Jack Tunney and everybody else in the World Wrestling Federation is against us. You remember this. Yokozuna will take The Undertaker out. He will stuff him in the casket, and it will happen at the Royal Rumble. Well, there they are. Two of some of the best managers, Jim Cornette and Master Fuji, and the biggest, (laughs) baddest Japanese wrestler of all time, the great Yokozuna. Multi-time champ. Definitely. Hey, and speaking of which, did you know, th- I 
we we've mentioned Greg the Hammer Valentine on this show. I guess Greg the Hammer Valentine was one of the last guys that Yokozuna was with uh, before he passed away. Actually, I didn't like, know that England or something. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, we'll have to say that next time we have Greg on the show. Next time, uh, so yeah, definitely we'll see him soon. So um, yeah, there's only one thing left to do here, and um, it kind of takes me back to what Gary was singing to us at the top of the show about Stalin and Gandhi. It's kind of like, um, like a yin and the yang or kind of like a divided man. Would you say? Mm-hmm. Interesting. That's a, that's an interesting turn of phrase there. Um, and ripped from the headlines in fact, because you know, it's kind of a exactly. major work that came out this week. Yeah. Or last week. Do tell more, Steve, please. Well, I don't like to toot my own horn, but in the words but of Arn Anderson, toot, I'm, toot. I'm propping you up. I'm uh, teeing you up, buddy. Yeah, no, I, uh, you know, this is the big year that uh, around February or April, I don't remember when the hell it was, I wrote, I published my own, my first book, a book, the uh, first of a trilogy, and I uh, just last week released the second book. So uh, I'm now a two-time author, but not titled. a two-timer. It's, it's titled, as you hinted, The Divided Man. <laughs> And um, yeah, it's uh, the third book will be coming out later this year. But until then, savor the first two. It's available uh, where you find fine books. Amazon, It's both of them are in paperback and a Kindle. The first one's in um, audiobook, and the second one will be available in a matter of weeks in audiobook. So awesome. It's an empire. Yes. Well, please continue to support your local authors, your local wrestling enthusiasts. And Steve, when you wrote, uh, did you have any good advice written into the into the foreword or into the dedications or anything like that of this book? You know, I should have. Um, and I think I think you know what I'm laying down there, and I know what you're laying down. Uh, so yeah, this, there's 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 an undying force within me that guides. Um, whenever I'm inspired, I want to you know create greatness, and um, I think you you know what that is, don't you, Mike? Oh yeah. If you had to guess, well, what would what would be that that muse that gets a artist going? Well, whenever I'm divided, I just try to keep these three things in mind, and that is to stay humble, stay hungry, and stay hard. Oh, Triple H. Whoa. Trumpet.